0: You are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hello, welcome to this week's podcast. This week, I had the pleasure of talking to Christina Safran. Now, Christina is a co-founder of the Project Heal, which you may have heard about. It is an organisation that helps people get funding for treatment for eating disorders um, as well as some other things that they're now doing this year at a sort of more grassroots level for lower levels of care. So um, Christina is a recovered sufferer of an eating disorder herself and in this podcast she tells us a little bit about her story and her journey into full recovery and also about what's going on with Project Heal this year. So the first question, as always, that I asked Christina was to tell me a little bit about herself. Here's the podcast.
1: Sure. Uh, well, let's see. Where do I begin? I um, am the co-founder of Project Heal and the executive director currently, and I really am committed to increasing awareness of eating disorders, really, you know, promoting them to national prominence where they should be and helping people to find recovery.
0: And um, it, wh- where did that all start?
1: Yeah, so a long time ago. Uh, so uh, my co-founder Leanna and I um, had met in treatment for anorexia when we were 15 uh, or 13, sorry. Uh, I was first diagnosed with anorexia when I was 10, um, and then relapsed at 13, um, had a really long battle of, you know, anorexia was my identity, I didn't want to get better for a long time, was in and out of treatment centers my freshman year of high school, Um, met Leanna, and and really we developed a very healthy recovery-oriented friendship where we really helped one another in recovery, and push one another to get better and as our conversations began to shift from you know issues that we were having to issues in the fields it really went back to this idea that you know we had seen so many people who were frankly a lot more motivated than us at the time to recover um who weren't able to afford treatment or who were kicked out of treatment early because their insurance cut and we you know just kind of naive. We got out and we read the staggering statistics that, you know, 30 million Americans suffer and 90% of them don't get treatment. And kind of naively, idealistically as 15 year olds, we were like, oh my God, this is horrible. We have to do something about it. And uh, that was a catalyst for Project Heal. Uh, So we've come a long way over the last Nine years! Wow, we've become the the largest organization in the country that's actually funding treatment. Um, and we've funded sixty eight applicants to date from all over the country, all ages, um, and really fund a comprehensive recovery journey. So we fund all levels of care, but you know, if our applicant starts it residential, we'll, we'll fund, you know, partial outpatient for many months and all the other kind of costs associated with recovery that people don't think about, like, you know, flights and family visits and new recovery clothing and, you know, all that. We really make the commitment to our applicants that when they're a Project Heal applicant, we're going to, we're sticking with them until they get better. (laughs) Um, And then perhaps what's been more exciting has been the real, groundswell of grassroots support that's developed around the organization. So we have forty chapters across the country and internationally, um, and a really wide presence on social media with about twenty eight thousand followers on Facebook and Instagram. Um and that really has been almost entirely organic, um, which has been the coolest part to me. So we had most of those forty chapters before we had a single staff member. And I, I think are really um, taking on you know the the image that full recovery is really possible and inspiring that hope in a a tremendous amount of people so it's been really exciting and um
0: what's so say um what's what's your um typical applicant look like
1: so unfortunately we get way more applicants than we can fund because of the treatment landscape. A typical successful applicant um, is, our applicants are amazing. Uh, Our recipients are really fantastic. So motivation is our number one criteria, uh, which is kind of a fluffy concept to, to get at, but I think we do a really good job based on our application of, of getting at that concept so you know we ask about what do you envision as recovery you know what are what are your strengths what are your weaknesses how do you plan to get around these weaknesses um really asking them to spend a lot of time thinking about these really you know weighty thoughts about recovery and how they're going to get there and then we do say that we prioritize applicants who are likely to do well in in treatment based on the predictors of success Younger age, shorter length of illness, fewer comorbidities, um, that is not an exclusion criteria. So they can certainly still apply if they don't meet that criteria. But they just have to explain to us, you know, if you've been in treatment five times before, why is this time different? What's your plan? And, And we have certainly funded people who've been in treatment before, who are older, who, you know, don't meet the kind of perfect applicant. Um, criteria and then obviously financial need is is taken into account as well so that's a big part of it too
0: and um, this is sort of across all of America or do you just operate in certain states in terms of sort of
1: all across all of America and actually internationally as well so we've funded an applicant uh, from Indonesia um, a couple of applicants from Canada yeah, I think, I think that's who we've funded so far, but we, we do take international applicants as well.
0: And um, Christina, I'm interested as to say, um, do applicants come to you with a request to go to a specific treatment center or through a specific um, treatment path, or do, you, do they come to you and then you say, these are treatment centers that we think really work and are great and we'll fund you to go to one of these?
1: So we now have partnerships with um, most of the major treatment centers, at least at the residential level across the United States, and then actually some partial and and some just general outpatient providers who basically make a commitment to funding a certain amount of treatment for project scale applicants. So we list them on our application, and we always ask our applicants, you know, do you have a specified treatment center that you want to go to? And then of our treatments and our partners, are you interested in any of them? Um, so so that's how we work it, but we always kind of let them pick and, and we do ask them and then further vet kind of uh, their um, decision for what level of care they want because I feel like that's an area where people don't always know what is the appropriate level of care for them in that moment.
0: Yeah, and, and that's, that's actually also why I'm interested in that question. Um, because I know that uh, when I was sick, and probably most needed treatment, then the treatment that I would have picked probably wouldn't have been the treatment that might have got me well. Um,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you? I mean, what do you mean by that in terms of what?
0: <laughs> um. So you. You know, I. I. Um. I do know. Of, and I think a lot of more adult sufferers, because I, I tend to talk to adult sufferers most that have been through. Numerous treatment and numerous recovery attempts, pardon, and um, have learned sort of that maybe their first um, therapists or were people that didn't really pressurize them or or try and get them to eat more. Um, And that felt safer at the time. But then, you know, sort of five years later, they've realized that they actually need to eat in order to recover it and therefore. A different style of treatment might be needed do you you know what i mean
1: yeah certainly well that's a big thing on our application and i think anybody we work with we very much are of the philosophy that you know it's not all about food but it is about the food at first and you need to you know you need to eat you need to be at a healthy weight and you need to these behaviors before any of the secondary work can really occur. Um, And so we really make sure with any of our applicants, no matter what level of care they're going to, what kind of treatment, um, we have questions in our application. Are you willing to meet, you know, your your minimum goal weight? Are you willing to stay there? Are you willing to follow all of the recommendations of the treatment center? Are you willing to stay for the recommended period of time? Kind of all of that to really gauge, you know, it's about gauging that motivation and
0: also about gauging, like...
1: That means all the hard work that is going to be associated with this.
0: Yeah, that's that's really fantastic. I think that's also very important. Um, not all, not all methods of treatment are equal for eating disorders. Um, that's absolutely true. And also, so um, do, you, um, do you do sort of any assessment of any comorbid um, disorders that might be present, um, and then sort of. Um, would need to be treated alongside, um, the, the eating disorder, just out, you know, how, how would that well, work?
1: We ask about them? You know, it, it, we ask about them and then we have clinicians interview to get a better sense. Obviously it's not, you know, we're not doing a formal assessment or, or diagnostic interview. And so how much we can really get to is, is a little bit unclear. Um, but we certainly do ask about that. I think one of the questions, I mean, to your point about where do we where do we send people. It's not it's not so well known, you know, okay, if someone has trauma or substance abuse or anxiety, where is the best place? What is the best thing? And I, I think that's something that, you know, our field still needs a lot of work in in really being able to help us to appropriately refer people to the the correct treatments for who they are.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you there. It's um it really it it just puts a different spin on anybody's recovery these sort of the individual facets of of what they've been through in their life and where they are now and what other things whether it be a comorbid um, mental illness or otherwise or even a physical um, complication that they're dealing with as well right um, so you said um, right at the start there. I just want to um, whiz back to that you believe full recovery is possible for anybody.
1: Yeah, um, I I mean wholeheartedly believe that full recovery from an eating disorder is possible. I am fully recovered. I know so many people who are fully recovered. Um, it takes an incredibly long time, uh, and so I always say for me, you know, I had my serious period of illness earlier when I was younger. Um, all of when I was, you know, my freshman year of high school was probably the major period of, you know, sickness in and out of treatment centers. Since I got out of that treatment center, my freshman year of high school, uh, I have been behaviorally and weight wise, um, better. Uh, you know, obviously it's been 10 years, Scott, but, <laughs> um, you know, I, I've, I've made sure to, you know, not give into any behaviors behaviorally. I've been totally fine. I would have told you a year after that, after I'd been at a healthy weight, doing all of the behaviors, eating my meal plan that I was fully recovered. Cause it really was night and day from where I was before, you know, that self-loathing eating myself every single day, being a challenge to like, it, it seemed like completely better in hindsight, it's not till a full two years after that. So three years after I was not completely at a healthy weight, not doing any behaviors that I was like, oh, this is full recovery. (laughs) Um, And and frankly, it's probably even continued to get a little bit better and better just in ways of, I don't know, stuff I would do in that, that first year or so when I thought I was fully recovered. Like, I might still spend like a little bit too much time like looking in the mirror, like trying on different outfits or like little things that weren't necessarily problematic and certainly were not, you know, it was so much better from where I'd been, but now we're just completely gone and it it keeps going there. Um, I think that something that is important is that I think it's so important for everyone to believe that full recovery is possible because while we all know the old adage that You can't live with a partial eating disorder. And that's totally true. You can't live doing behaviors. I think what's not really recognized is that you can live in this place where, you know, you're not acting on behaviors and you are in kind of behavioral recovery, but you still really don't like yourself. And, you know, you're at war with your food and your body or just takes up too much time. In your thoughts and frankly god it's probably this bad place that a lot of you know women in our society live in but that doesn't have to be and the only way that you'll get out of that is if you believe you can get out of that right and you continue to do that really hard cognitive work of challenging those thoughts and putting pushing yourself and and putting yourself in different situations for it really to go away so you need to have that belief that that full recovery is possible um the other thing that I, I always, you know, try to mention is that full recovery, like, I am fully recovered, but I always believe, I mean, my philosophy is just, like, believing in self-improvement constantly, right? And so, you know, I'm I hope that I always continue to, you know look for self-betterment and think about ways to, you know, a lot of the the comorbid conditions that come with an eating disorder, like I'm a pretty anxious person, you know? I'm pretty perfectionistic. And and those are qualities that I'm I'm consistently working on uh, to get better and better. And I think that's good. God, if I was just like done at 24 years old, that would be so boring and sad. So, So I hope that people don't use that is an excuse to say, okay, never have to, you know, look inward again and, you know, see where I am and, and examine myself because I, I think that's always
0: important. Yeah. And uh, that's important. Eating disorder or not, quite frankly, is to exactly. always be sort of self, you know, not, not berating, but just saying, you know, you know, how c how could I, how can I make things better? Because often it's actually, it only makes things better for ourselves when we, become more accepting um we challenge our insecurities more our anxieties more and i um you know we, we're at really we're at different sort of ends of the spectrum in that i was a really late onset i wasn't uh, i was 17 uh um onset and you were 10 um and so um and and then as an adult sufferer was was sick for a good 10 years before i even started recovery um attempts but I I still, I very much agree with what you're saying. I think that two years into my recovery attempts and to to look at and talk to me, you would have, you know, you would have agreed with me if I told you I'm fully recovered. But because that was night and day compared to when I was sick. But even sort of um, five years on, that's night and day to what I was two years in. It's just a difference that I can tell that if, I, if I want more, you know, like I'm like, I'm having it. And uh, there's nothing, there's nothing attached to that. I don't, um, I'm not anxious about it. I don't worry about it afterwards. It's just geared on how hungry I feel. And that to me is a wonderful freedom.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it really does give you, I mean, I always talk about my eating disorder. Like it was this amazing gift almost that I was given just because it's, it's taught me so much. And I think once you've gone through that, and you've recovered you come out with this amazing kind of maturity and wisdom and you know especially for me at you know god i was you know still in high school and college and i i just knew myself so well in a way that a lot of my peers didn't know themselves yet and and weren't comfortable with themselves yet and
0: that was truly a gift oh, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing like it for self-growth. It really isn't going through an eating disorder and oh. coming to the other end. There's <laughs> nothing like it. Um, so this, this is something I'm interested in. Um, as, as an adult sufferer, and I know that most people listening to this, my audience is, is majority adult sufferers, but I, because I, I was 17 um, at the onset of my illness, I had a pretty good idea of who I was as an adult. Um, before I got sick and that was a very different person to who I was as an adult while I was sick Mm. and so when I decided I was hell-bent on recovery and I I was going to get that person back I had an idea in my head of who that person was that fun 16 year old 17 year old carefree person I wanted her back and I did have an idea of who she was in my head and I started to be able to make decisions based on what she would have made. And that really helped me as an adult to recover. Now, uh, if, if you had an onset at age 10, um, as an adult or going through through that adolescence, that must have been a little bit more difficult because you wouldn't have really known who you, who you were as an adult without the eating disorder. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and I think it was A mix of things I mean I was so I I was diagnosed at 10 um I got better for a period and actually I I always talk about middle school as being like I was on top of the world like I had so much fun I really like I was the lead of my school play and I was a pretty outgoing you know vivacious uh social butterfly type kid. So I did have a little bit of that to hang on to. Although obviously it was really hard because my treatment was, um, I really missed my entire freshman year of high school. And I went from this, you know, tiny middle school where I was like the top of it to the sea of, I went to the largest Catholic high school in America. Um, and so, you know, I was just, I felt like nobody. And I was like, how am I going to, like, invent my identity here? And now everyone knows me as the, the anorexic girl. And, oh, like, I don't know what to do. Um, And so that certainly made it harder in addition to not having too much of an idea of who I wanted to be. I always say that something that was really helpful in my recovery was, though, building that image of the person I wanted to be. I think that... I used to think about it in such like black or white terms. Um, It was like, you know, Christina, the chronic anorexic who was in and out of hospitals or, you know, Christina who was recovered, but super unhappy and super uncomfortable with herself and in her body and just sad and miserable all the time. There's no like good image of somebody to strive towards and, and work towards. Um, and I, so I think building that, both building, you know, the physical identity and really beginning to change my role models physically from who I admired was beautiful from these like unhealthy way fish figures to, you know, something who was, who was more healthy. And then more importantly, obviously was, uh, mentally, um, or, or just as a whole person, like who did I, who did I want to be and like, who, what type of women did I look up to and, aspire to be like and and really it came down to you know like confidence was a big thing and i think how you get that is being you know interested and engaged and passionate and and intelligent right and and working on things to change the world and you know all of those qualities that i recognized in women that i admired and that's what made them so beautiful, right? It's people who could speak their minds and be fierce and and part of me kind of knew too, like I always was a little bit annoyed at the kumbaya, <laughs> butterfly type talking and treatment. And and some of that is great and I've I've gotten a lot more zen, but some of it I was like, I know that I am never going to be that real chilled out person, but how can I utilize these Type A perfectionistic go-getter traits for good, right? And and I think that I'm a good example of that, and and Project feels a good example of that. Of like, you may have these traits, but they're actually awesome when you recover. If you utilize them for good, you can go on and do really tremendous things.
0: Yeah, um, I'm I'm absolutely and definitely not a perfectionist. That's for sure. But I am. I am, I am pretty damn stubborn and <laughs> that's, that's the trait that I use I, when, when I decided I'm going to eat this thing, no matter how scary it is, like I was going to eat it. I, I, I would eat it if I cried, I would eat it if it took me 10 hours, but I was going to eat it. And I, I think that that was sort of my best trait, just being really damn stubborn. Once I got my head in, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do it if it kills me. <laughs> exactly. So, tell me a little bit more about um what Project Hill has on the horizon.
1: Yeah, so lots of exciting stuff um, most notably, so we've had a lot of grass groundswell of grassroots support develop around us and have also I think begun to engage some of the non-traditional players and getting outside of the eating disorder space so we uh we just signed on the head of the 49ers to our board of directors uh ariana huffington's a big supporter and really are working to get it out there raise awareness that this is not just a white rich girl vanity issue um and so i think we're having a lot of success in that i think seeing all of that success uh we were like i think we can do more and I, i really see our potential to change the face of this disorder and and how people are treated with it over the next decade. Um, And so in August, we had gathered together some of the leading uh, research experts in the field and basically said to them, look, we have the potential to raise a lot of money, mobilize a lot of people, where are the gaps, what needs to happen? Um, And one of the biggest things that was identified was This real need for lower levels of care um, and this gap in care. Right now, you know, 90% of people with eating disorders don't get treatment. And additionally, the 10% who do, it's often in the highest level of care, these residential treatment centers. Um, so we're missing all of the people who begin to develop symptoms and behaviors. And then, you know, there's there's really a lack of support after treatment. So we drop people from 24-7 care to essentially nothing and the relapse rate is, is really high. Uh, so that that's a huge problem. (laughs) And then we went out and did a bunch of interviews with a lot of the people at different levels of recovery in our chapters. And really we're trying to understand for them, you know, what was important to you in recovery, what was helpful, what was harmful, you know, tell us about it. And the biggest things that they identified were one, this real need for recovered, mentors and role models. And I, I think anybody listening to this podcast probably knows that the importance of a recovered role model cannot be understated. I mean, having someone to show that full recovery is possible, that it's worth it to go through all that crap, <laughs> um, who understands like how hard the struggle is, but it's also uniquely positioned to push you forward in it. It just, it, it's so important. Um, and then we also heard from people Oh, my God, being involved with Project Heal has been instrumental in my own recovery. It's totally, you know, being a role model to others has has brought me full force into recovery, which is amazing because that was the story behind Project Heal. We always say, you know, when I founded Project Heal, I was 90 percent there and and taking on the responsibility of being a role model really brought me 100 percent into recovery. So. We saw this. We began to look at the peer support model, and it's a it's a really effective model. It's been well utilized in a lot of other mental health spaces, and hasn't really been leveraged in eating disorders. So we are expanding our mission to build out uh, peer support programs. Uh, so so support groups led by people who've recovered, one to one mentorship programs, working with Carolyn Costin to develop a, a mentorship program for for people in recovery. And then also working with um, the Body Project, Eric Stice and Carolyn Becker, they have this awesome eating disorder prevention program. It's it's really the only one with an evidence base behind it, and they have these great results that show that their training program, it's a peer to peer training program, cognitive dissonance based program where girls argue vehemently against the thin ideal. And it's been shown to prevent the future onset of eating disorder symptoms up to two years after the program, which is awesome. And so they think that uh, having our chapter leaders facilitate the program will not only prevent future eating disorders, but also help our chapter leaders to strengthen their own recovery. So that is what we're doing. We're we're in the proof of concept stage right now and and hoping to really roll this out in our first couple of chapters starting and starting in June.
0: Yeah, that's um such important such important stuff the um as you say lower levels of care. Um and, and and because it's it's so um prevalent and so wide that it really is I think that um peer to peer support is going to for a lot of people be the biggest resource that they have, um, because Look. they can't have their therapist with them twenty four seven. Exactly. Who can afford that for a start? And um, you, you know, it, it is that sort of on the ground work, the day to day, the the um, knowing that you are not alone in your thoughts and feelings, and that other people not only are going through it, but have got through it, and that have got out the other side. And they're saying it's worth it. And, you know, just sharing things like, and, and this is how I this is how I did it, this is what worked for me, not necessarily that that's going to work for you, but this is just, it might spike, spark an idea that does work for you. Um, a bit like sort of troubleshooting and brainstorming, I think is it's really important because everybody is slightly different, but we can learn from each other still. Exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah, we're really excited about it. You know, everyone we talk to is really like, this is amazing and and so needed. And I think, you know, we are the community of of recovered people, and and leveraging that community is going to be an amazing force.
0: It, it works both ways as well. You know, um, like with I've just the re just recently launched this meal support service, and so many <laughs> I've had so many meal support coach applications. But you know, people really once they are through recovery, they really want to help. They they know what it's like, and they they have insight. They know that they have insight because they got through it. And I think that it's a real gift to be able to help somebody else with what you've learned.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: I hear that from the um, parents um, community as well. Parents that have. Uh, had the unfortunate circumstance of parenting a child through an eating disorder and gone through that and the difficulty of it, but then being very passionate about coming out and being an advocate and helping other parents on the other side because exactly. they learned so much. You know, it's almost like it's 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 criminal not to help someone else once you have that sort of knowledge.
1: Exactly, exactly. And we're actually, to that point, uh, para- uh, piloting a parent support group as well uh, in the San Diego area first that we're hoping to, to roll out everywhere. So it should be pretty
0: exciting. Oh, that's good. Um, so, so how, how does that work?
1: Um, so we're, we're in the proof of concept stages, but hopefully it, it is going to be a parent support group led by parents who've been through it to, to other parents going through it, um, and really trying to bring in evidence-based strategies. So we're working with Tara Diliberto uh, and her bite program, mm-hmm. which is um, you know, strategy is for parents in a comprehensive, you know, uh, really easy to digest format. Um, and so we'll see how it how it works. We're excited for it.
0: That's fabulous. Um, I think I think my friend JD is involved in that, isn't she?
1: Yeah, she is. Yeah, JD is is leading the group
0: she's been on the podcast. <laughs> people know, people know JD. Um, so yeah, fabulous parent advocate and just uh, all round real inspiring woman. If you want something done, she, she's the person to talk to.
1: That is what I heard. And I, uh, when I met her, it was confirmed. So yeah, we're really excited to have her involved. We have a really, really amazing team. I feel incredibly grateful every day for all the people who are involved it's it's, it's really an awesome community
0: yeah and I I can't help I, I often actually I think the same thing almost every day um just the people that I get to work with in the eating disorder field and most of them are uh sufferers um that I'm working with or recovered sufferers and you know I think there has to be something in the genetics there that these are really great people these are such smart funny uh, motivated um go-getter people that you know uh it's just a pleasure to be around full stop you know it's a wonderful community
1: exactly exactly no when you recover you go on to do really amazing things i think the traits that enable you to have an eating disorder when used in the right way enable you to be a pretty awesome person yeah
0: um um, so um christina where can people find out more about you and uh, project heal
1: Go to the website, theprojectheal.org, and visit us on Facebook. And that's just an amazing source of hope and inspiration. And yeah, the Facebook page is great. And then also on our website, you can find our blog, which has an incredible amount of stories. We have some of the best contributors in you know the eating disorder space and outside of it. And there is just a wealth of inspiration and, and hope to be found there.
0: And a big thank you to Christina for um, taking the time out today to have a chat with me and lots of good things coming on the Horizon for Project Heal. I'm very excited about and hoping that um, we can help them in any way possible by spreading the word or just getting involved. If you're interested in any of the programs that... Christina spoke about, then the links to the website, Project here and the Facebook page I'm going to put in the show notes to this episode. The um, lower levels of care that we spoke about is something very close to my heart. As somebody that actually never went through a, an official treatment program, I never went to IP, I never saw a therapist, and as an adult sufferer, I um, recovered pretty much solely by reading the Feast Forum website. But I do know the power of that community support. So the Feast website is a website that's actually parent support. And even then, as an adult sufferer, not even a child, not even a parent myself, I found that community support engaging and helpful. And it really helped motivate me and just helped me to know what to do in recovery. And the thoughts and feelings that I was having I wasn't alone in having those, and giving me some tools, learning from how parents were helping their own children recover, giving me the tools to help me recover, so community support and peer support is really important to me, and um, that's really what's behind the um, meal support service that I've set up, which is now available. So. It's um, designed to help with that mealtime anxiety, uh, many of us feel when we are in recovery or we've just come out of treatment, wherever you may be in your recovery journey, mealtime anxiety can pop up at any time. And it's just having somebody there that gets it, um, somebody there to just say, you know, you can do this. I know it sucks. I know that this feels really horrible right now, but you can eat this and you need to eat this food. It's it's really powerful. Um, It's powerful to be able to be that person and to give back and actually help someone with the things that um, one might have learned in one's own recovery journey. But it's also powerful to be on the receiving end and just have someone there that knows knows what you what you're up against. But they're still telling you, "I've I've been there. I've been up against it, and I did it. So hey, I know that you can." It's it's really something else. Um, So. If you'd like to get involved in the meal support program, then you can contact me as well. Um, And for more details about that, always willing to talk about it. And also if you just have any other ideas, you know, like what do you need as a sufferer of an eating disorder? What do you need in place? What's not there in your life? Where are the gaps um, in, in your day? Where are the places that you struggle? And what can we do as a community of, ex-sufferers, sufferers, sufferers, parents of sufferers, partners of sufferers, what can we do as a community to help you fill those gaps? That's what I really want to hear about this month. So you can email me. It's um, tabs at edmealsupport.com. You know, tell me what you need. Thanks for listening.